leads me, who guides me. Uh, and God's word is able to do that for all of his people. Uh, and so we need to understand uh, that if we want help and direction in parenting so that our children uh, raise up to be future men and women of God, we need to look to uh, the pages of scripture. And what we're uh, looking at this morning, if you have your copy of God's word, you can open up to Ephesians chapter six, where we're kind of resuming our uh, study of that household code. We need to, to follow the, the blueprints that are laid out for us in Scripture. And uh, the, the responsibilities of parents uh, and of children are going to be seen uh, woven throughout the entire Bible. But they're, they're summarized well uh, in these certain sections in the New Testament that, that we would refer to as uh, the household codes. And each household code, uh, there's three really easy ones to identify. There's one in Ephesians, one in Colossians, one in First Peter. These household codes uh, have different emphases based upon who Paul is is writing to in that moment. Uh, Ephesians, the the, uh, the relationship that gets the most time and attention uh, is marriage, uh, and specifically the the person in marriage who gets the most attention in Ephesians was the the, the husband. Right? Wives had a couple of verses. Uh, husbands had a, a larger passage uh, given and dedicated to them. But in uh, the household code in First Peter, uh, the inverse is true. There's only one verse given to uh, the responsibility and duty of husbands, but there's six verses given to uh, uh, the, the wives. Uh, and a part of that is Peter's emphasizing, what are you to do if you are a believing wife with an unbelieving husband? Uh, and, and so he's going to shepherd uh, ladies through that. Uh, and the, the household code in uh, Ephesians, I'm sorry, in Colossians, uh, is going to, to have a larger section dedicated to uh, the relationship between uh, masters and slaves in, in uh, that uh, time period. And that's because Colossians is going to be carried right along with another letter, uh, Philemon. Uh, and carrying that those two letters is going to, or accompanying the person who's carrying those letters is going to be a runaway slave uh, who was sent back to his master whom he had stolen from. Uh, Philemon and Onesimus is kind of in the background of uh, Colossians. And it's interesting that as you look through those uh, household codes in the New Testament, uh, really none of them emphasize the parent-child relationship. Now there are kind of just very brief uh, mentions in, in passing of what uh, uh, parents and how parents and children uh, relate to one another. And so there's not any lengthy discourses, but I would say that that is because uh, the Old Testament has uh, several books dedicated uh, directly to parenting. Uh, and I would say that the easy book to think about in, in terms of parenting would be what Old Testament book? Proverbs. Amen. Uh, it's uh, Solomon uh, writing to and instructing his son, pleading for his sons to to hear wisdom. And I would also probably include Ecclesiastes as a second book uh, that that Solomon wrote directed to his sons to teach them wisdom. Uh, and that, that would be you know debatable. But uh, I think there's plenty of Old Testament resources for uh, for parenting. But the Apostle Paul is going to to really summarize uh, the overarching uh, command uh, for uh, children here in the passage that we're going to look for, uh, look at. I want, I want to uh, direct our attention to God's Word. We're going to uh, read chapter 6 in Ephesians, verses 1 through 4. Uh, verses 1 through 3, which we're going to study today, are uh, God's direction to children. And then verse 4, which we'll look at next week, is really God's direction to parents. But we're going to read all four verses uh, this morning. Verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, 
which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, and so as Paul is, is addressing these, these human relationships within that, that typical first century household, he's going to, to now begin to give instructions for how children's are children's. That's the plural plural uh, uh, in my own mind. I may do that from time to time. How children are to relate to uh, their parents in a Christian household. And, and this is important for us to see. And even in, in what we just read, we, we see that, that Paul is not building something from scratch. Uh, that the Apostle Paul, who wrote 2,000 years ago, uh, is building upon what uh, God commanded and Moses wrote 3,500 years ago. Uh, and really what he is building upon are, are timeless truths of how children are to relate to parents. Uh, and so we have to, to keep that in mind. Human relationships don't really change too much uh, over time. Human relationships are always strained by sin and, and pressured by the world around us. Uh, and we need to, to keep those things in mind and understand what does the, the Bible say our relationships should look like. And we need to, to build our relationships according to God's word rather than uh, upon what Oprah or Dr. Phil say or anybody else. Uh, we have to go to the scriptures. Uh, and so I want to begin to walk through this passage together and see what it uh, says about how we are to, to build uh, parent-child relationships. And, uh, and the first uh, a thing I would draw your attention to uh, is just the, the command to children at the very beginning of verse 1. He says, children, uh, obey your parents in the Lord. And, and I would draw your attention to the fact that there's, there's multiple words in the Greek that could be translated as child. There's, there's one Greek word, uh, paideon, uh, which refers to a young child, usually uh, children under the age of uh, 12 or before they hit puberty. Uh, and that is not the word that is used here. The word that is used here uh, is technon, uh, which doesn't make any distinction regarding age. So the, the idea when he says children, Children here is more general, like offspring or descendants. Uh, and so this, this word, in using this word, he's incorporating and including directions to very young children and then also adult children. And uh, that's going to be made evident. If you look at verse 4, uh, he's going to say, he's going to give a, a warning uh, to fathers. Do not provoke your children to, to anger. Right? And I would say usually, are there, yes, you do have angry two-year-olds, uh, but they're angry for the wrong reasons. Uh, but sometimes as uh, adult children, there's, uh, there's been a provoking by parents that is sometimes right uh, and, and just. And so fathers are, are warned not to provoke your children. Don't misuse your uh, authority. So that would kind of be directed more towards uh, older children. Uh, but also this includes younger children because right after that, he says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the the Lord. And usually it's younger children who need that discipline and that instruction even more, although older children uh, still need it at times. So understanding that this is, uh, this as he's speaking to children, this is not any particular age, but every single age. Uh, and then note what is being commanded, uh, the idea of uh, obedience. Uh, the, the Greek word here is really a compound word, meaning uh, to hear under, in essence of, of be willing to receive instruction. 
uh, from your uh, parents. Uh, and uh, this, uh, this command is actually a little bit different from what uh, Moses wrote uh, in the, the, the fifth commandment, which Paul's going to cite later on. Uh, but Paul says, obey your parents in the Lord. And uh, if you look down into uh, verse uh, two, uh, begins with honor your father and mother, which is the, the fifth commandment in the, the Ten Commandments. So, so Paul mentions something a little bit different than what Moses wrote. So why, did, why does he say obey rather than honor? Uh, And I love what what John Calvin says about this. He says it is because obedience is the evidence of that honor which children owe to their parents uh, and is therefore more earnestly enforced. Uh, that so if if children are obeying their parents, they are also going to be honoring their parents. Uh, but uh, if they're disobeying, they're not going to be honoring. And it's easier to gauge obedience than it is to, to gauge uh, and measure uh, honor. Uh, and so obedience is very clear, uh, but honor is a is a more ambiguous term. And what does that really consist of? Another uh, biblical scholar, William Hendrickson, says to honor implies to love, uh, to regard highly, uh, to show the spirit of respect and consideration. And this honor is to be shown to both uh, of the parents for as far as the, the child is concerned, uh, they are equal in uh, authority. Uh, and so t- children are to obey uh, their, their parents and to follow along with what uh, their parents instruct them. Uh, there's a wonderful illustration. If you keep your finger here, go to, to Jeremiah 35. Go back into your, your Old Testament. And... There's a wonderful picture of a of a family that honors their their father. They're known as the the Rechabites, and uh, the Lord uses the Rechabites as an illustration of obedience uh, and as a, a way of condemning Israel uh, for their disobedience uh, to God. But uh, Jeremiah 35, uh, beginning in verse two, Jeremiah is sent uh, by guys says, go to the house of the Rechabites and speak to them. And bring them into the house of Yahweh, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. And then if you look at verse 5, so then uh, Jeremiah goes and, and does that. And then I put before the men of the house of the Rechabites pitchers full of wine and cups. And I said to them, drink wine. But they said, we will not drink wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, you shall not drink wine. You or your sons forever, and you shall not build a house, and you shall not sow seed, and you shall not plant a vineyard or own one, but tents you shall uh, inhabit all your days, that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. So we have listened to the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, and all that he commanded us not to drink wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, uh, or our daughters, uh, nor to build ourselves houses to inhabit, and we uh, do not have vineyard or field uh, or seed. And and so uh, their father had commanded uh, these things. It's not necessarily things that we have to go and do, but their father gave them these instructions, and they've been faithful to carry them out. They've been faithful to obey what their father uh, taught them. And if you, you jump down in that same chapter to verse 14, this is the Lord's evaluation of that family. It says, the words of Jonadab, uh, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are established. So they do not drink wine to this day, for they have listened to their father's command. But I have spoken to you, rising up early and speaking, and yet you have not listened to me. That was God's message to uh, the people of Judah. Look at this family. They listen to their father. And then look at you. You don't listen to the Lord your God. Uh, And so God uses this family as an illustration of what it looks like to follow and obey uh, your uh, your parents. Uh, And so that's a that's a wonderful picture of uh, of honoring. And there's multiple uh, 
illustrations that we could go to in Scripture of, uh, of what it looks like to, to dishonor your parents. I think the, the easiest one would be uh, in Luke 15. Now, you don't have to turn there, but you're very, probably very familiar with that story of the, the prodigal son. Right, who, who wants uh, his inheritance before his father dies. He takes the money and he goes in and squanders it. So at that moment in time, that son has no love, no affection, no desire to honor his parents. What does he want to do? He just wants money from them and he wants to go chase uh, his own desires. Uh, but he doesn't honor them at that moment in time. But when he repents and comes back to his father, I would say now he's beginning to honor Right. Uh, and that that story is really a, t- a tale of of both sons, because uh, when that younger prodigal son comes home, uh, what's the attitude of the older son? So he was there. He was outwardly obedient to the father. Uh, but there's an inner uh, hatred and animosity and a bitterness towards uh, his father. So even the the older son who lived at home is not truly honoring uh, his parents. He's, he's there uh, among them and giving them lip service, but still angry and hostile uh, to them. So there's uh, wonderful pictures of both honoring and dishonoring uh, throughout uh, Scripture. Uh, and so children are are commanded to obey their their parents. But are there any any limitations to this uh, to this command, uh, and there's really a limitation given there right uh, in verse 1. It says, children, obey your parents, and then what's the limitation? In the Lord. Uh, and so every human relationship that the Apostle Paul outlines here in this uh, household code, he, he brings the attention back to uh, the, the, our connectedness to Christ. And so children obey their parents really in the same way that they would obey the Lord and in the Lord. So if a, if a parent commands a child to go and sin, should that child listen? No, no not at all. And so uh, the, the, our, uh, a child's obedience to their parents has to be consistent with the honor and obedience to, to the Lord. So that's one natural limitation. Uh, there's another limitation that's implied uh, within this as well. And really comes from the, the previous uh, section on, on marriage. Because what, what's the most important human relationship that we saw previously? It's not the parent-child relationship, but the, the, the marriage relationship. Uh, and so there's a there's a, a changing of the guard when when a when, when people get married and the the authority in life uh, changes and shifts and as a new household is formed uh, relationships change. But uh, it, it's important to say that again the parent child relationship is is changed and transformed. It doesn't uh, disappear altogether. Indeed, married uh, children are still called to honor uh, their parents, and this is really really important. This is where the the rubber meets the road for a lot of us. So, that we have, if you are married, your most important relationship is with your spouse, but you are still commanded to have a good relationship with your parents and to honor your parents. If you, if you keep your finger here and go to, to Mark chapter 7, you see Jesus actually condemned the Pharisees uh, because uh, they were neglecting uh, the, the care uh, for their, their parents uh, and that they were, they were setting aside uh, the commandment of God to be able, again, to do what they want to do. They are doing exactly what the older brother did in the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. But if you look at Mark chapter uh, 7, beginning in verse 9, 1 through 8, we have this, this confrontation of the religious leaders coming to Jesus and saying, hey, why aren't you doing all of the, the ceremonial washings that you should uh, and uh, Jesus confronts them basically for elevating tradition uh, and leaving the commandment of God uh, to the side. 
That's what he says in verse 8. Verse 9, he, he confronts them. He says, he was also saying to them, you are good at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever you might benefit from me is korban, that means uh, it is, that is to say, given to God, you no longer leave him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. And you, you do many things such as that. So what was taking place is rather than using their money and resources to be able to care for their parents in their old age, uh, many in Israel, probably among them that the Pharisees and the religious leaders were, t- were, were putting their money and de- saying, this is money is dedicated to God. Uh, and so I can't use it to support my parents. I have to, to give it over to the Lord. But they would still kind of have access to that uh, money. It's in a nonprofit and I, I, I need to access it in this way. Kind of that's, that's what they were doing of kind of putting the, the money away. And then they weren't caring for their parents. He says, look, and Jesus is, is confronting them. So there's a, there's a clear understanding that uh, children have a responsibility to care for uh, their parents as they get older. The same thing is seen uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, verse 8, uh, where the apostle says, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So that we have uh, our primary responsibilities are for the members of our own household. And that extends uh, upward to the, the previous generation and downward to subsequent generations uh, that we, we need to be able to, to care for. And I remember uh, this reality really dawning on me at, when we were at our sending church as our pastor was teaching through First uh, Timothy. And, and he challenged the, the younger couples in the church. He says, is this a part of your financial planning? Like, are you considering how you need to be saving up, not just for future vacations or your own retirement, but are you saving up to be able to care for your parents as they get older? Is that even on your your radar? Or are you using up all of your money and resources now uh, as if that time will never come and that you have a responsibility to be able to care for your parents? Uh, and so, but but we have to do more than just be willing to to throw money at our parents as they get older. We have to be involved with them. I love what uh, what John MacArthur says. He says simply providing financial support for one's parents in their old age falls far short of honor if it is not done with loving personal involvement. That money can be an expression of love, but never a substitute for love. A child can no more honor his parents by simply paying their bills than his parents could have uh, responsibly raised him by only paying for his food, clothes, education, and other needs apart from loving care and personal involvement. And so we have to be involved with parents as they get older. We have to be willing to embrace that responsibility, uh, and that's a way of honoring our parents. Uh, and that responsibility doesn't go away once we get married. It's a lifelong duty that we have. Uh, and, and this command, as you're starting to kind of piece things together, this, this becomes more and more complicated as we get older, right? Uh, because when we're growing up in our parents' household, we really only have to relate to them as a uh, child. And again, that's the most important relationship. Uh, but then it changes once we are an adult and then once we get married and then once we have kids of our own, suddenly we're trying to uh, to juggle all of these uh, relationships with, with competing uh, priorities and responsibilities. So, so how do we juggle all of this? Well, Part of it is you, you become a better juggler, right? You, you have to, to work and, and labor at this and realize, okay, I do have all of these responsibilities, 
and I can't let any of them fall. Uh, and so if you're, you're a child who still lives at home, uh, you're to honor your parents uh, and to obey them in the Lord. Uh, if you are a, a single uh, who's living outside of your parents' home, what are you to do? Honor your parents uh, and obey them in the Lord. Again, that, that responsibility doesn't disappear when you move out from under their roof. I would say you're still under their authority, as we talked about in the past, of until you're, uh, you're married. And again, I know that looks uh, different in different situations, and we can, uh, I can't give all of the exceptions and nuance here. But I'll also say this. If you are married and have kids of your own, uh, you still have the responsibility uh, to honor. You can't neglect uh, that uh, responsibility of honoring your parents. So you have to, you have to learn how to navigate uh, extended family relationships. And I know this is often a source of conflict within marriage. Uh, of how, how do we balance all of these things? And so I would say, begin with what are the really clear commands in Scripture in all of these relationships? Uh, the, the, the very clear command that we saw in previous weeks for a husband and wife, they are to, to leave and cleave. Right? And uh, that new couple needs to understand that, and the, the in-laws and the parents need to understand that as well, that there is a new household uh, being formed, and they need to, to set and establish their own rhythms of life and their own uh, uh, kind of just a way of, of living and doing life. Uh, and so both parents and kids need to, to understand that. So that's a very clear command. But at the same time, leaving and cleaving doesn't mean cutting all ties. Uh, it doesn't mean you no longer have any relationship there. It's just a, it's a different type of relationship. So the clear command to leave and cleave, but also a clear command uh, to honor your father and mother. Uh, and both spouses need to have this attitude towards both sets of parents. This is this is really important, uh, and you, you can't prevent your spouse from honoring uh, his or her parents. You don't don't become uh, a a, a d- divider uh, within uh, the, those relationships. So again, these these commands are intention, and you have to uh, one relationship is going to take priority without extinguishing the other. So there's a, there's a balance and nuance here. And as you have discussions about, so what do we do in, in relating to to in laws and and honoring. Uh, parents, uh, again, as you sit down and talk about this, and that's what you have to do. You do have to sit down and, and have conversations about what are our expectations of how we're interacting with parents. Uh, but as you do that, keep this in mind. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. So doing nothing from selfish ambition or vain glory, but with humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than yourselves, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So being willing to, to come forward and talk through, hey, here's my interest, here's what I would like to see happen, uh, what would you like to see happen? And you have to, to converse and talk through these things uh, as a, a married couple and then also a, in your uh, relationships with your your parents so uh, there's a there's a lot more to this but the overall responsibility of honoring is a lifelong duty that doesn't disappear it changes over time but doesn't ever disappear and so now after issuing the command itself the apostle paul begins to explain and persuade uh, concerning why this command is important why this command needs to be obeyed so he says uh, children obey your parents in the lord and he gives off uh, two reasons and the first of them is at the end of verse one Uh, The first reason is just really, really simple. He says, for this is right. Uh, This is uh, what corresponds with reality. Uh, This is uh, 
what, uh, how things ought to be, and this is just the way things are. Uh, and so he's just uh, arguing uh, on that basis. And, and really, when, you, when he says that this is something that is right or something that is just, uh, he, he's going to be saying that this is how God has designed things. Again, God's creation, he, he has ordained what is the good, beautiful, and true, uh, what is just and what is unjust. And what he's saying is that God has commanded this, therefore it is Right. Uh, Psalm 19, 8 says the, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Now, what God commands is right. And we need to be convinced of that, not grumbling in our hearts or, or anything else. A parallel passage to this in uh, Colossians chapter 3, that, that other household code. Uh, this is that the, the verse of instruction there. It says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Uh, this is uh, the Lord looks upon children obeying their parents and showing honor to their parents as something that is pleasing uh, to him. And then uh, Hosea 14, 9 uh, is, a, is a wonderful verse. It says, whoever is wise, uh, let him discern these things. And whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right and the righteous will walk in them, but the transgressors uh, will stumble in them. Uh, and so. We need to be convinced that what the Lord has commanded here concerning honoring our parents, uh, whether we're two years old or 25 or 55, uh, that honoring our parents is what is right. Uh, but it may be worthwhile asking, why is it right for, for children to obey their, their parents? And, and I would say this, that, that human parents are a picture of God's authority to their children. Right, we've already, in, in studying through the, the household, we saw marriage is a picture of uh, Christ's relationship with the church, right? And think about this. Uh, who is, if that is a, a picture and a portrait of Christ's relationship with the church, who, who has a front row seat uh, able to view that picture? The, the kids, right? Uh, kids within a household get to view and, and observe close up uh, that picture of what is being portrayed by their parents' marriage. Uh, and so that, that's a picture of Christ uh, and the church, uh, but parents in general are also a picture of God's authority uh, to them. And for those little, little children uh, who uh, don't necessarily immediately understand the, the concepts of uh, an invisible God who's with us and looking down upon us and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, now that little child doesn't understand all of that, but they do understand mama being right there. Uh, and if they disobey mama, there's going to be consequences. Uh, and so this is that, that picture and that understanding. And this is why it is right uh, for children to obey uh, parents. Uh, and this is also because it is right uh, why disobedience to parents is listed with other very serious sins. If you, if you go back uh, a few pages to the book of Romans chapter 1. Beginning in verse 28, you look at this, uh, th this listing off of, of, of sins, and then one of them is going to probably jump out at you. Because we tend to, to think of disobedience to parents as not that big of a deal. Verse 28 and, and in Romans 1, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to an unfit mind to do those things which are not proper, having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, 
evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And so you you see the the, the bigger picture of all of those uh, sins, and some of them probably seem really, really serious to us, but then we get to that one, and that helps us to to see and to elevate the severity of disobedience to parents and what that uh, consists of and, and the heart behind it. If you, if you turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, we see a, a very uh, uh, similar passage in terms of as he's listing things off. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, but know this, that in the last days, difficult times will come for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, without gentleness, without love for good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding a form of godliness but having denied its power. Keep away from such men as these. That's a powerful warning, again, showing the the severity and the importance of obeying our parents and honoring them uh, because that is what is right Uh, and so we all need to to strive to obey this command being convinced that it is right Uh, but then the apostle paul continues to to build his case so the first reason that we should obey he says this is right uh in verses two and three he gives a a second reason you could say that uh, because it is rewarded verse two and verse three this is what uh the apostle writes he's going to to quote the old testament he's going to quote uh the fifth commandment Uh, He's going to say, honor your father and mother, uh, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may be well with you and that you may live long in the land. And his his citation there uh, is there's two places where the, the Ten Commandments are clearly written in the Old Testament. The first is Exodus 20, when Moses received that word on Mount Sinai. Uh, this, the second occasion is in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where uh, Moses is rewriting the law. That's Deuter- Deuteronomy's second giving of the law. So Deuteronomy 5, and Deuteronomy 5 uh, words the fifth commandment a little bit uh, differently than Exodus uh, 20 does. And so Paul is, is citing uh, Deuteronomy 5.16. But he doesn't cite uh, every every aspect of it. So Deuteronomy 5.16 says, Honor your father and your mother uh, as Yahweh your God has commanded you that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you on the land which Yahweh gi- uh, your God gives uh, you. Uh, and so uh, here the Apostle Paul cites the initial command of honor your father and your mother. And then he provides a little bit of an inspired commentary for us, right? And he says, this is the first commandment with a promise. Uh, and, and this is this is important to note because there was uh, there's no other uh, of the, the Ten Commandments that have a very specific promise. Like if you obey this particular command, this is the, the result of it. And there's a, there's a promise of blessing for this particular command that if you honor and obey your parents, uh, that they, it will go well with you. And the promise in, in Deuteronomy that you will live long in the land of Israel that the Lord is placing them in. Uh, but Paul changes it a little bit because 
because he's writing to the Ephesians and he doesn't say you'll live a long time in the land because the Ephesians are like, well, I've never lived in Israel. Uh, but he says you will live long on the earth. So kind of changing uh, the, the promise a little bit. But the, the idea here uh, is that it will go well with you and there will be blessing that comes from God for our obedience uh, to our parents and our honoring them. Uh, and uh, but that's also to, to say, well, you know what? I, I think I know some people who uh, have honored their parents and not had a long life. Uh, and I know some other people who have dishonored their parents and had a really long life. And so what do I do with those? Those are uh, exceptions. Uh, and, and that's where the, the overarching principle uh, is that if you honor and obey your parents, uh, you will live a long life. But there's exceptions uh, to that. So it kind of becomes a, a principle, uh, a principled promise, not an exhaustive uh, promise. Uh, and there is blessing and protection that comes from being under your parents' authority and from honoring them. Uh, and, and this is important to to think about. And again, I always always say, if you want to, you can you can guess what the world will proclaim by taking what the Bible says and then turning it all the way on its head. Okay, if the Bible says uh, honor and obey your parents, what's the world going to say? <laughs> yeah, you're you're better off on your own. Right. Disregard them. Separate yourself. Don't be connected with them. Well, what is the world constantly promising young people? And I remember this growing up uh, as I was in high school. When you're in high school, uh, what is it you can't wait to have happen? Can't wait to graduate and get out of your parents' house. Right. And it's amazing because you, you set up in your own mind like how easy life is going to be. Right. Once you graduate. Right. And then what happens once you graduate and you're out on your own? Like life is kind of hard. Like it gets expensive uh, to to feed myself as a college uh, student athlete. Uh, I tend to eat a lot, uh, and so yeah, there's there's lots of complexities to life that you don't fully uh, understand until you're out on your own. But but the, the world uh, is convincing young people that they will be more happy and better off outside of their parents' home. I say that's like that's like the lions convincing the the gazelles, hey, you'll be better outside of the herd. Right. You'll be better off out there on your own. And why do the lions say that to the gazelles? Because they're going to go out and seek to devour them. Uh, and, and that's what the world is seeking to do, seeking to to influence and to isolate. Uh, you become an easy target. Uh, again, a lone ranger is a dead ranger in the Christian life. Uh, and that's what the world is seeking uh, to always convince young people to do. You'll be better off. You'll be happier. Your parents are just restricting you and, uh, and uh, trying to control you. Uh, and, and again, there are times and there are parents that, that are doing that. And that's going to be addressed in the very next verse. When, when parents' fathers are told, do not exasperate your kids. All right, there is a very easy abuse of authority, and that authority is going to change. As your kids get older, you should be giving them more and more freedom. Uh, and the tendency is you give your kids a lot of freedom uh, early on when they're young, and then as a teenager, they, they continue on the path that they've already been walking down, and they grow up as, as rebels, and then as teenagers, they rebel. And then what's the tendency as parents of teenagers? We lock everything down. Right? And then it becomes, and then the teenagers rebel even more because, uh, because of that. Uh, and I would say the, what we should be striving for is the opposite, that we're very uh, guarded and directed in what we're doing as kids are uh, young. Uh, and then as they get older, there's more and more freedoms. Uh, and as you, as you coach and instruct and guide them in their uh, freedom when they're young, they can be entrusted with more and more responsibility and freedom uh, as they get older. Uh, and so uh, this is this is an important uh, 
concept to, to think through. And again, this is a promise that we have to really ask ourselves, do, do I believe this? Right? Paul's giving these, these reasons of why we are to, uh, to obey our parents and to honor them. First and foremost, it is right. And then secondly, that it will be rewarded. Uh, and if, if you struggle to, to obey your parents, I would bet that you're not fully convinced uh, of these two reasons. If you're, if you're struggling to obey your parents, do you, have you really thought about, is this right? Is this what I ought to be doing? Is this what the Lord is calling me to do? And then you probably haven't spent too much time really wrestling with, do I believe that life is going to be better if I'm submitting to and, and honoring my parents? Or do I believe that uh, I can be wise in my own eyes and go my own way and things, and the Lord will bless me for that? Now, what is it you believe? And I would say what you are actually doing is going to reveal what you believe. And that's how it always is in life. That your beliefs are made evident in what you will choose to do. Now, but I would urge all of us to believe what it, the reasons that are presented here. And that motivates us to a greater obedience, that we honor and obey our parents because it's right and because it is rewarded. And the, so the Apostle Paul gives these, uh, these commands to, to the children uh, and then the reasons and motivations for obeying the command. But uh, I would also say there's, a, there's another implied command here. That, that, that parents need to pick up on, uh, and it's it's a it's going to be explicit in the next verse of fathers, uh, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But I also think it's implied here, and I want to spend some some time on it. Uh, the the implied com- command to to parents here uh, is that uh, that parents need to teach and instruct. Uh, their children on this matter where do where do children learn that they are to obey their parents from their parents yeah so you're starting to to see this okay this is a command to children uh, but who is in authority and to teach and instruct their children parents so so this is also this is content that parents are commanded to pass along uh, to our kids Uh, and this is something that every parent needs to to understand and to grasp uh, and how are we to teach our children to obey and honor us as parents? Uh, and I would say the, the first aspect of this in calling our kids to obey this bigger command is we have to instruct them when, when they're young. Right? Before your kids can crack open the book of Ephesians uh, and read from it themselves, there's going to be infinite number of times where you're going to be calling them to obey you. Right? You're going to be calling them to obedience. Uh, and so you need to teach uh, your kids that they are to obey you. And you can do this in numerous ways. I would encourage you to teach your kids the Ten Commandments. Uh, Teach them, uh, have them memorize that from an early age, and then you're constantly referring back to that. You stole that toy from your brother? Okay, let's talk about that. What did you you do? You you coveted? So there's the Tenth Commandment. You you, uh, took uh, from them uh, forcibly, which is a a violation of the, the Eighth Commandment not to steal. And because you also pushed them down and took it by force, that's a violation of the Sixth Commandment of thou shalt not murder. So shall we keep going on? You also violated, uh, that was an idol in your heart, and God disappeared in that moment. So you weren't worshiping God, the First Commandment. And that little toy became, so again, you you start to see that that becomes a, a tool to begin to shepherd your kids on. And to begin to probe what is really taking place in their hearts. Uh, and, and you want them to see that. Uh, and a, a part of our responsibility as parents is to teach our children what God expects of them. 
Uh, here's a, a, a quote from uh, Paul David uh, Tripp, and, I, and he has a book on parenting uh, that, that's just really, really uh, helpful. It's called Parenting 14 Gospel Principles. It's got a, a white cover with a rocking horse on it. I would encourage you to pick it up if you don't have it. Uh, but he says this in, he's got a whole chapter in there on authority, and it's, I'm going to quote extensively from it here. But uh, he says, know that your children do not know what true obedience looks like. It's your job to clarify this for them. He says, what is obedience? It is a willing submission of my heart to the authorities that God has placed in my life. And what does this willing submission of the heart do? It causes me to be motivated to and find joy in doing what the authorities that God has placed in my life have asked me to do. So part of our task as parents is to to lay out that authority structure that our kids are living and breathing in uh, and making sure that they understand uh, every child when they come into the world, they think, who is the authority? You ask one-year-old diagram an authority structure for me. Who's at the top of that one-year-old's authority structure? Themselves, right? Mama's here to do whatever I want, right? I cry. Uh, If she doesn't respond, I cry louder. Uh, If she doesn't respond, I really begin to crank up the volume. Uh, And then she responds, and that's how it ought to be. Uh, and so th- this is this is really important that as parents we are we need to teach uh, and to instruct them and to to shape and, and mold their affections not only towards obedience but finding joy in obeying because this is what the Christian life is going to be about for the rest of their lives and what we are all called to do is to find joy in obeying and following after Christ our Lord and Savior. Uh, and so this is what we're, what we're seeking to, to lay out as parents. Uh, so I would say we need to begin by instructing it, teaching it, uh, talking through what does obedience look like. And then secondly, we need to, so we need to t- instruct it when they're young and also secondly, require it when they're young. And what do I mean by we need to require their obedience? So uh, number one, I would say this begins just by continually calling them to obey, right? Hey, I've told you don't put uh, that metal object in the, the electrical outlet. Don't do that, okay? Uh, and if they don't do it, I, I'm going to continue to call them to it, but ahead of time, don't do that. And then if they disobey, I need to, again, go have a conversation with them uh, and, and shepherd. Uh, and so I need to continually call them to, to obedience, and then I need to address any disobedience as, as sinful behavior. Uh, and this is, this is going to be key. If your children are not honoring and obeying you as a parent, what do we see in this very passage? How does the Lord look at that? He views that this is, this is sin. They're stepping out uh, and they're rebelling not only against you, but also against the Lord. There's another uh, really helpful quote from Paul uh, Tripp here. He says, uh, your children must learn early that they have been born into a world of authority and they're not it. So why is this so important? Because submission to authority uh, that is not me is unnatural for any sinner. Sin makes us want our own way. Sin makes us want to set our own rules. Sin convinces all of us that we know better. Sin causes me to want to do what I want to do when and how I want to do it. Sin makes me resist being told what to do by another. Sin really does insert me in the center of my world and the the one place that I must never be because it is the place for God and God alone. All of this means that children come into the world as self-appointed little self-sovereigns. That battle that you have over the peas that you want your daughter to eat is not about diet. 
Your three-year-old daughter is not saying to you, I have studied my dietary needs, and it is not necessary that peas be included in a three-year-old's diet. No, this skirmish over something that is little in the scheme of things is not little at all, because it is not about peas. It's about authority. Your daughter is saying to you, no one but me will decide what I put in my, my, in my mouth. Thank you. Your daughter is not just resisting peas. She is fighting against the exercise of authority. She's fighting being told what to do. And she's buying into the destructive delusion of self-rule. Right, so that's what we need to, to understand. Uh, and we need to instruct, we need to call our kids uh, to obedience uh, to us uh, and bring that in. And we need to do that as the middleman. Now, what do I mean by we do that as the middleman? If you as a parent are the ultimate authority in that child's life, uh, they're, uh, they're, they're going to lose sight of the big picture. That you as a parent are an ambassador. Uh, you're a representative of God's authority. You're not the end-all, be-all. And you need to represent and carry out God's authority well. Uh, and uh, you need to be modeling uh, everything that you're calling your kids to. So as you're addressing it uh, as the middleman, uh, you're calling your kids really to, to follow you as you follow Christ. Uh, and so you're, you're instructing it, you're requiring it, and then you're, you're modeling what obedience looks like in your own life. So you're not going to be a tyrant, you're not going to be a, a hypocrite, but you're going to model the gospel and you're going to continue to proclaim the gospel to them of what Christ has done. That Christ, uh, because we are all sinners, he came into the world to live a perfect life, to pay the penalty for our sins, and to be raised again on the third day, uh, showing that sins are, are forgiven in his name. Uh, and we're going to be constantly announcing that good news to our kids uh, and then uh, calling them to respond, even as we ourselves respond to that. Of uh, You're speaking to sinners as a sinner. right? So if you're going to be calling your kids on their sin as, as they're young, eventually they're going to say, Hey, Dada, you spoke angry. Right. Hypothetically speaking, that may have happened. Um, right. And, and they, they begin to to call you on that. And then that's your opportunity. What are you going to do in that moment? You say, you know what? I, I did speak angrily. Would you forgive me for that? Uh, and you're modeling, hey, God is up here and we're all underneath that even parents are in submission to God the Father. And so uh, that, that is what we have to, to do. We have to proclaim the gospel and model what it looks like to respond to the gospel and live all of life in light of that. What happens if I don't teach my children to honor and obey? What happens if I, if I don't do this? What happens if I'm unwilling to correct my, my kids? Keep, well, you, we won't come back to Ephesians. Turn over with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3. When we come to a family in the Old Testament, the family of a high priest. The high priest's name is Eli. He has two sons. whose names are Hophni and Phinehas. And Eli's two sons are uh, out of control. And everybody in Israel knows it. We studied this a few months back, but the, the Lord appeared to the young boy Samuel with a message of judgment that he needed to announce to Eli the priest. So 1 Samuel 3 verse 10, then Yahweh came and, and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, speak for your slave is, is listening. And 
Yahweh said to, to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will establish against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons have been bringing a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. So there's, there's judgment that comes upon Eli's house and upon Eli's children uh, because Eli knew what the issues were. He knew their sin. Everybody in Israel knew their sin. And he didn't correct them. He didn't rebuke them. And basically the Lord says, since you didn't do that, I will. And the Lord's discipline is, is far more severe than, than, it, than the, the human father. In... Uh, an earlier proclamation of judgment spoken by an unnamed man of God to Eli himself. If you look at chapter 2, verse 29, look at, look at the way this man of God uh, presents things of what is really going on in, in Eli the high priest's heart. He says, he says, Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honor your sons above me, by making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering of my people Israel. So when, when Eli the, the priest is not rebuking his sons for their sin, they're stealing the sacrifices of the Lord. When, when he is not stepping in and addressing what's happening, this prophet says you're preferring and honoring your, your sons rather than honoring the Lord. Uh, which is a... Which is a sobering reality. And I say every every parent here has has a, a decision to make along those lines. Are we going to honor God and obey Him and call our children to do the same, or are we going to honor our children above God and refuse to call them to obedience and let them go their own way? And, and the risk of that, and ultimately, not, it's not really a risk; it's a guarantee that, that they will face the Lord's judgment on their own. Like we're here to, to turn them back. Uh, children are naturally on a, on a pathway to uh, foolishness, sin, and death. Uh, and parents are here to, to redirect uh, away from those three and then towards wisdom, uh, uh, obedience, and, and life. Uh, this, is, this is what we are called to do. We're, we're standing in the gap and, and redirecting. That's what we are commanded here by Paul. Uh, and he, he gives the command. He explains why the command is to be obeyed. And then uh, there's an implied command for, for parents. Uh, and, and I wanted to focus upon this today, even though we'll talk more about the, the discipline instruction aspect uh, next week and then not provoking our children to anger. But, but this matter of, of authority is of, of the utmost importance. And again, I'll, I'll quote uh, Paul uh, Tripp one more time from his book. He says, here's how important this is. People who are committed to self-rule won't submit to the rules of, a, of another. And because they won't submit to the rules of another, they won't think that they are wrong or confess their wrongs. Because they don't confess their wrongs, they won't seek God's forgiveness or God's help. You could argue that the drive for self-rule is the thing that, apart from God's grace, separates us and our children from God. You could not consider a more central heart issue for every child ever born than this one to reject authority is to reject god who is the authority over all authority and rejection of god never has and never will go anywhere good 
So I want, I want you to, to consider that, the importance of this matter of we ourselves obeying our parents unto the Lord. And we all have parents. Uh, and then if you are a parent, may we be faithful uh, to teach our young children and our older children to call them to obedience in the Lord. Amen.